Platinum is an expensive, shiny, durable metal. Yet there are not very many coins made of platinum. It has rarely been used as currency, and even then, only for very brief periods of time. Every now and then, a commemorative coin will be minted in platinum, but that's about it. Basically, if you're holding a platinum coin, you know you've got something special on your hands. You might even have a coin worth one trillion dollars. That might sound far-fetched, but it's actually a real thing. Well, it's a real idea for a thing, at least. The plan was first concocted in 2011, as a way for the United States government to deal with its national debt. The country needed money, you see, and had already borrowed the maximum amount it was allowed. Usually when this happens, Congress just rubber stamps a deal to allow the country to borrow more money. But the legislature was feeling especially prickly at the time. So what's a penniless power to do? The Treasury isn't just allowed to print up more money to cover their bills. There are rules against that kind of thing. Except... 31 U.S. Code Section 5112, Denominations, Specifications, and Design of Coins, Part K. The Secretary may mint and issue platinum bullion coins and proof platinum coins in accordance with such specifications, designs, varieties, quantities, denominations, and inscriptions as the Secretary in the Secretary's discretion may prescribe from time to time. Did you catch that? The Secretary of the Treasury can issue a coin that's worth any arbitrary amount of money, as long as it's made of platinum. This is supposed to be used just for coins that honor a special occasion, like the 50th anniversary of the moon landing or something. But technically, there's nothing stopping the Treasury from minting a very special coin made of platinum, saying it's worth however much money they need, depositing it in the Federal Reserve, and dusting their hands off for a job well done and a country saved from debt crisis. This has never actually happened. In 2011, Congress finally passed the Budget Control Act to avert that particular disaster. The idea resurfaces from time to time, though. There's no shortage of fiscal emergencies in late capitalism. The idea had some traction as recently as last year to help with COVID-19-related financial relief. So who knows, maybe the trillion-dollar coin will become a reality sooner or later. For now, though, there does exist one big hunk of platinum that commemorates something special and priceless. You're listening to the Episodic Table of Elements, and I'm T.R. Appleton. Each episode, we take a look at the fascinating true stories behind one element on the periodic table. Today, we're gauging platinum. Platinum. 
Platinum is one of those strange elements, like molybdenum, that's actually named for another element. 17th century Spanish invaders first noticed the metal while panning for gold. It took the form of little grey beads that they called platina, meaning little silver. But the Spanish didn't discover platinum. There were already lots of people living in South America, and they had known about the metal for centuries. While the Spanish couldn't figure out any way to work with it or even melt it, indigenous crafters made masks, jewelry, figurines, and even fish hooks and tweezers out of platinum. It really is a pain to work with, though. Its melting point is very high, it's not very malleable, and it's also pretty heavy. These enduring qualities are part of the reason platinum was chosen as the material for the international prototype kilogram. Historically, weights and measures have been a mess. One common early unit was the cubit, defined as the length from the elbow to the tip of the middle finger. Weight was frequently defined in grains, as in grains of wheat. A denarius was seventy and a half grains, with six denarii to an ounce, and twelve ounces to a pound. Obviously, there's nothing keeping one grain of wheat from weighing as much as another, and no two people are going to have arms of identical length. And just forget about converting between different units. Even worse, the whole system could be entirely different in the next town over. By the Middle Ages, Europe's measures were probably the biggest mess in the world, a hodgepodge of various systems inherited from the Greeks, Egyptians, and Babylonians, with elements from Celtic, Scandinavian, and Arabic customs, with a dash of local flavor for any given county. To introduce something more reasonable would take nothing short of a revolution. In particular, the French Revolution. France was a tumultuous place in the late 18th century, to put it very mildly. Widespread inequality, unemployment, food shortages, runaway debt, and steep inflation had pushed society to its breaking point. Weights and measures were so intertwined with these problems that introducing something more logical and consistent was not just a matter of convenience. It was critical to uphold the ideas of liberté, égalité, fraternité. Philosopher and mathematician Nicolas de Condorcet proposed a system that would be, quote, for all times, for all people. An abstract and logical system, not something based on custom, authority, or human anatomy. Units were to be based on powers of ten, allowing for easy conversion among them. The new base unit of length, the meter, would be calculated as one ten millionth the distance between the North Pole and the equator. Volume would be defined in liters, with one liter being a cubic decimeter. 
and the unit of mass known as the kilogram would be equal to one liter of pure water. That's a nice idea, at least, but those turn out to be rather difficult things for the average person to measure. For the sake of reference, standards were created in 1799. A platinum bar exactly one meter long and a platinum cylinder exactly one kilogram in mass were created with the greatest possible precision and stored in the National Archives of France. Copies were carefully created and distributed worldwide, and they remained absolutely constant for 90 years. In 1889, they were swapped out for slightly refined versions made of a platinum-iridium alloy, but for all intents and purposes, these relics were sacrosanct, contained within a climate-controlled, triple-sealed vacuum container, in a vault sealed by three separate keys held by three different people. This metal cylinder is as close to its own platonic ideal as a thing can get. It and its official copies ultimately governed the accuracy of every metric scale in the world, from NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory to your neighborhood supermarket. But it turns out that absolutely nothing is as perfect in practice as it seems in theory. In 1989, on one of the rare occasions that Le Grand Quai was taken out of its chamber for assessment, scientists discovered something disquieting. The Ur kilogram was approximately 50 micrograms lighter than its official copies. Had the copies become heavier, or had the original somehow become lighter? It's impossible to say. It's not like there was another, better kilogram to measure against. Thankfully, our understanding of the universe has grown over the past few centuries, and we've found some natural phenomena that appear to be constant, no matter where or when you are. The speed of light in a vacuum is one such example, being exactly 299,792,458 meters per second. Except actually it's more accurate to say that one meter is the distance light in a vacuum travels in one 299,792,458th of a second, but let's not go down that particular rabbit hole right now. Another of these is Planck's constant, a discrete quantity and the absolute smallest unit of energy, measured in joule seconds. In the same way that the speed of light is sometimes represented by the letter C, Planck's constant is sometimes represented by the letter H. A photon can increase or decrease in energy by 1H or 2H or 10h, but never by half an h, because there's nothing smaller than 1h. Admittedly, this unit is a little harder to grok than the meter, but what's important to know is that this is a unit of energy. 
Conveniently, we know that the mass of a particle is equal to its energy divided by the speed of light to the second power. You might have heard this as E equals mc squared. By performing a little tricky math, it's possible to express the mass of an object in terms of joule seconds, and in so doing, tie the definition of the kilogram to Planck's constant, making it consistent everywhere, every when. In order to perform this calculation with a satisfying degree of accuracy, scientists needed to measure Planck's constant with greater precision than had ever been done before. When they first realized the problem with the platinum kilogram, no instruments existed that could perform such fine measurements. The right tool for the job is called the Kibble Balance, named after its inventor, Brian Kibble. While a mechanical scale compares one mass against another mass, the Kibble Balance measures a physical mass against electromagnetic force. Kibble created the first of these scales in 1975, but it wasn't until 2018, two years after his death, that the technology was refined enough for this particular use, and scientists from 60 nations voted unanimously to redefine the kilogram in terms of Planck's constant. The following year, on May 20th, World Metrology Day, that decision was enacted. The Kibble machines were turned on, and Planck's constant was measured more meticulously than ever before. The professionals exhibited a wide range of reactions. Dr. Martin Milton, director of the International Bureau of Weights and Measures, demonstrated the kind of cool-headed impassivity you might expect from the person in this role. Am I emotional about this? He said. No, not really. Stefan Schlaminger, one of the scientists who performed the work, was agog. I'm in disbelief, personally, said he. There's something in my life I've actually finished. You start a lot of things in life, but really, how many do you get to finish? To commemorate the occasion, he and a few colleagues got forearm tattoos bearing the new measurement. H equals 6.626070015 times 10 to the negative 34th JS. Underneath, it reads, A tous les temps, a tous les peuples. For all times, for all people. Platinum may no longer be enshrined as the definitive kilogram, but it has been used by many peoples, across all times. As far back as 1200 BCE, the Egyptians were using it to make jewelry and other decorative items, although they might not have been aware of it. It's likely that they thought they were just working with some low-grade silver. That's not such a big deal. Sure, it's a pain to work with, but at least you still wind up with something shiny and beautiful. When Georgi Markov unintentionally acquired a little platinum, he wound up dead. 
Born in 1929, Markov was a popular Bulgarian writer and an outspoken critic of his country's government. That brought him a fair bit of trouble, like the time he was at a dinner party in Munich, and somebody poisoned him. Luckily for him, he survived. Or the time he was on vacation in Sardinia, and somebody poisoned him. Luckily for him, he survived. He eventually moved to London for safety's sake, but he continued to write plays, and he worked for the BBC, Deutsche Welle, and Radio Free Europe. In 1978, he was crossing the Waterloo Bridge over the Thames, when he felt a sharp jab in his leg. A passerby fumbling with his umbrella muttered a hurried apology with an Eastern European accent and shuffled off. That evening, Markov fell gravely ill and was rushed to St. James Hospital. Four days later, he died. During the autopsy, doctors found a tiny pellet buried deep in his leg, the same place where he had earlier felt that sharp pain. It wasn't even two millimeters wide and had not shown up on x-rays. It was made of 10% iridium and 90% platinum, metals that are notable for their biological inertness. A human body has basically no reaction to them. Clearly, the minuscule bullet didn't kill Markov. It was ricin, the extremely potent toxin inside the bullet, that killed him. Two little holes drilled into the pellet held the poison, and it was sealed inside with a special wax designed to melt at body temperature. Newspapers reported that the umbrella wielded by the shady figure on the bridge was actually the gun that fired the bullet, a real-life case of James Bond-caliber techno-intrigue. That may be true, or perhaps the assassin merely used the umbrella to hide his face. It wouldn't be unheard of, though. The history of espionage is littered with suspicious deaths and creative weaponry. A German man was murdered under very similar circumstances in 2012. Whether the bullet was actually delivered via Bumbershoot or some other device, Platinum was critical to the weapon's design. A bullet made of lead or some other lesser metal could possibly deform upon firing, sealing the poison inside and causing Georgi Markov to survive a third assassination attempt. These kinds of circumstances, of course are highly unusual. Rarely is Element 78 found in such unsavory company, and you should have no trouble finding it in all the same places as other Platinum Group metals. Spark plugs, catalytic converters, and yes, pen nibs, as well as lab equipment designed for working with especially harsh chemicals. Or you could expand your numismatic subcollection of the elements, for a few short years in the early 19th century, Russia minted rubles of pure platinum, 
and the U.S. Treasury does strike some commemorative coins out of platinum every year. Any of these would be a very valuable addition to your collection. Maybe not a trillion dollars, but very valuable nonetheless. Thanks for listening to the Episodic Table of Elements. Music is by Kai Engel. To learn about the difficult task of measuring the distance between the equator and the North Pole, visit episodictable.com slash pt. Next time, we'll go for the gold. Until then, this is T.R. Appleton reminding you that the clock's changed. We've all spent the past year locked indoors, and it's never been easier to miss the news that it's daylight savings time. I woke up yesterday feeling very confused, and then very upset. Anyway, happy spring.